Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week's podcast is also done at a viewer request. In particular, how and why we use kettlebells at Ascension Center Dojo. Like always, this is going to go where it goes. Um, I love that people suggest topics for the podcast, um, but I always reserve the right to let it go where it goes. So the broader topic here for me is strength, the role of strength in Budo training. There is a history, particularly in the internal arts, of which does include Aikido, that has changed over time, over the last century in particular. And one of the ways that this change has taken place is in regards to the role of strength and the role of strength training, if any. No doubt, especially in an art like Aikido, the idea is to find, if, if not a contrary way, at least an alternative way of generating force that is different from the muscle isolation usually associated with the strength application. But from that, it does not follow then that strength plays no role, either in the combative application of a given art, or even in the training needs of daily practice, or perhaps even as a precursor step to developing this alternative energy source or source for force output. I remember when I started, there was a common assumption that often did not go unsaid that uh, women would be better students in Aikido and better practitioners of Aikido. And the reason given is that as they were generally with less upper body strength on the mat compared to the males that were there, that they would have to be um, kind of funneled into using correct form over strength. It's stories like that where you come to make sense of things 
but a whole lot goes unquestioned. In regards to this story, as I, as I became an instructor and was now responsible for the transmission of the art to a deshi, whether they were male or female, I started to see all kinds of holes in that. I don't think what I, what I, what I found is I, I came to not think that it was an incapacity of strength that led one to not use strength. That was a huge assumption. The second assumption was that a lack of strength or an incapacity for strength would in some way be causal towards the development of correct form. Neither of these things are true. What you see, because ultimately the application of Aiki, or even more so the spontaneous application of Aiki, is not really physiologically grounded. Undoubtedly, there is a physiological component to Aiki, but its source is something beyond that. Whether we want to call that emotional, psychological, mental, or spiritual. And because of that, what you saw, if, is, if someone had a strength output a value of 10, but did not come to cultivate these inner qualities, these inner sources of Aiki, you would just see them struggle with a source output of 10. It didn't matter if the required force requirement was a value of 5 or of 12 or a 20. The person who, in using my phrase, who has yet to spiritually mature would continue to struggle with whatever strength output value they had at their disposal. It didn't matter what gender, it didn't matter ethnicity, it didn't matter what nationality. It didn't matter what age. The child will do yang to yang. The woman will. The small male, the large male irregardless of what strength capacity they hold or do not hold. But those kind of slogans would go on and have gone on, and I would say in a majority of dojo, to excuse and condone and support not only a lack of physical strength, but even, by extension, a lack of physical fitness.
And it's gone on not only to affect ideas, notions of strength, but even ideas that nobody ever said was not part of the internal arts, these being matters of flexibility or matters of mobility. Where mats are crowded by people who cannot touch their toes in a standing forward bend, at a minimum, cannot change levels quickly. Continue to train without successfully managing chronic injuries to the knees and to the shoulders and to the back. Where this injury management is not considered a part of their practice, which would include the healing of that, er that area. Relatedly, I've seen calls for new blood in Aikido Dojo. Some sort of complaint about mats being overcrowded by the elderly. And that by default, training has become less vigorous, less martial, more about community, more academic, Again, I see a kind of similar flaw in reasoning. It, it may be true that within some dojo, they have a deshi population that is relatively older than younger. And it may be true that the art as practiced there has become less martially viable or even less martially concerned. But it does not follow that the age, let's just take the median age of 50, is someone who cannot be a relatively superior athlete. Somebody who at 50, who at 60, whose physical limitations have become of such a nature that they actually have a detriment to the martial viability of the art or to the vigorous of training, that's not happening because of age. That is, be, that is happening because of a lack of fitness requirement. This, this is something that I had to come to terms with as a dojo cho. Socially, there's things unique to Aikido, but to martial arts in general. It is by default culturally 
a kind of pastime activity. And it is mostly populated by people who have a disposable income. And therefore, mostly populated by people who have a space in their life for leisure. As our society here in the United States has evolved, the association between leisure, disposable income, has come to be dominated by food and entertainment. By extension, what you're seeing is a population that in all likelihood is one of the less fit segments of our community. That's, you combine that with an art like Aikido, even before it was suffering its internet reputation. You're looking at an art that is not drawing heavily from the 16 to 28-year-old males, a segment of the population more genetically disposed towards upper body strength and strength in general. So we opened a dojo And we were faced with the choice of, do we cater to this population? Because having trained earlier decades, two decades before I actually opened a dojo, the martial arts was not such a pastime activity of leisure made up of folks who had disposable income. Martial arts then was quite an eccentric activity. You had people going into dojos in the 70s and the 80s from from across the economic spectrum. And there was really nothing leisure about it. Daily training was not only the norm, it was the assumption, and it pretty much went without saying. And so it drew from athletes and laborers 
people whose bodies were relatively stronger and whose mindset was more capable to endure the pain of becoming even stronger. But by the time you hit the 90s, the late 90s and the 2000s, you start to see a whole different kind of deshi coming through the door. I would say the whole epidemic of mud runs, Spartan runs, CrossFit, etc. is a reaction to that. To that change in the athleticism of our known majority. A response that people had to, to the knowledge that we have somehow become lesser than we were. And so people came in through dojo doors having either no athletic history or having one, but as athletics itself had to undergo this cultural shift not having them be athletes, but nowhere near as fit of, as athletes of the 60s, 70s, 80s. Meaning this kid could be on the high school wrestling team, but he cannot do pull-ups. Something that used to be unheard of. But again, most times you had people coming in who had no athletic history. And this was combined by the fact that without even an athletic history, they for sure did not have any kind of combative history. Meaning they had never been in a fight. Whether it be social violence or asocial violence. Of course, there were shifts at schools that supported that. Where schools now have zero tolerance towards fighting. And also the adoption of what some scholars call a feminization of public education. where classroom dynamics are being set to better correspond with the genetic dispositions or leanings of girls. In addition, there were budgetary limitations that limited sports. And it's becoming today more and more common that more combat-leaning sports such as football are being taken out of school programs. And that trickles down all the way to the elementary age where dodgeball is no longer allowed.
And that's who's coming through your door. So you have a choice. We answered it differently than other people might believe it is a problem answered when they look at their mat and they only see a geriatric presence. It was quite simple and quite in line with taking responsibility with ownership, with other warrior virtues, to not play the victim and to not lean on the other for assistance, but to take the problem on by oneself and to say, well, we're not going to reduce the intensity requirements of the art And we're not going to wait for these prime athletes to walk through the door. What we're going to do instead is to make training, physical training, the gaining of an operational fitness be every bit a part of the dojo's program as much as Kihon Waza is, Jiyu Waza, and anything else. Once I took on that problem, I found that it solved many, many other problems. At first, there was just matters of coordination, hand-eye coordination, cross-lateral coordination, homolateral coordination. There were also mobility issues. People who live the majority of their lives in chairs and in high beds and in high heels. And so we started there. At this level, we probably were not all that different from any other school in that we had to take on some basic calisthenics, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, stretching. But from there, we moved quickly into yoga as a way of using body weight as a resistance to generate some strength gains while addressing the mobility and coordination issues and also the fear issues because again you're dealing with a population who's never been in a fight and now you're doing these mock battle engagements every class they're freaking out they can't even breathe from there we quickly moved on to games we tried to give them an athletic history. In the dojo, we played variations of dodgeball. We played variations of handball. We played variations of ultimate frisbee. 
And while we were addressing fitness concerns, we also used the games to address and introduce the need to study strategy as part of Budo training. From there, we moved on to, in, in law enforcement, we used to call them the old man workouts. It was, um, it was a homage to a former LAPD officer, Mr. Greg Dossie, an, an Aikido practitioner, um, and a lifelong athlete who, as an old man, that's what we affectionately called him, he was not old, though, could still run circles around us cadets and outlast any of us through the calisthenics. It's probably for someone not in this world. It would be something akin to uh, early CrossFit. And the goal here was to learn that the mind will begin an eternal dialogue and will start proposing you quit long before the body is actually needing to quit. We use those kind of regimens to help students learn about that psychology and to learn how to develop a pain tolerance and a commitment to persevere and endure. Now our space, as these programs were developing, our space was not very large. At home and for decades, I had always made use of barbells. But there was no room in the dojo we had at that time. And so when people reached a decent level of strength to weight ratio, they could understand the importance of form for further developing a more operational strength to weight ratio. They could be trusted to keep the form so that they were not causing injury unnecessarily, we moved to the use of kettlebells. Kettlebells are fantastic. And even though in our new space where we have room for four benches, for bench press, three squat racks, and everything else, we still make use of kettlebells. And if you're interested in that, I mean, you just got to go to the source. You got to look up Pavel on the internet and just start there. And what we did, though, is once we got this athletic base in the dojo, I started to curb 
the conditioning so that it was more akin to the larger Budo requirements, such as, for example, how I mentioned using games in order to learn and apply lessons from the Sunsu or from Godin no Sho or Klasowicz or Napoleon. Or even Sid Heal, who's kind of a god among SWAT teams. And he has a book out, Tactical Architecture. So, we were not interested in fitness for fitness sake. And so we were not interested in coordination for coordination's sake, nor were we interested in strength for strength's sake. The use and the development of this curriculum is designed to better enhance and fulfill the needs of Budo training and in specific the development or the cultivation of skill in Aikido. And here with the use of kettlebells is where we started to do things a little differently than even Pavel does or even CrossFit does. And I'll explain that because that was the main question that the listener wanted answered. Just keep in mind how we got here because that is still part of our kettlebell regiment. For me, Aikido is a weapons art. That means it is designed to utilize weapons. It's empty-handed. Techniques are support systems to weapon utilization. The weapons that I use most of the time are knife and handgun. And what most come to consider Aikido Kihonwaza are either ways of using the knife and the handgun or ways of defending the knife and the handgun or ways of fighting to the knife and the handgun etc. As such, mobility is key. If you have a list and there's only two things on it, strength and mobility, mobility is more important. And that causes a dilemma because the, when you prioritize strength, strength does come at a reduction in mobility. This has to do with the adapt, adaptation associated with strength wherein fibers, tissues are more cemented in order to bear loads. Now here, you're going to run into 
the sciences of strength training. And very much like the sciences of nutrition, we do not truly understand what is going on. It is likely not due because we don't have the information. It is likely due because we're trying to find a one-size-fits-all answer. And in all likelihood, no such thing exists. So what I have done is, as every good former academic would do, is try to get yourself in the ballpark. Don't look for the exact one thing that's going to work above all other things. Look at the talent hotbeds, the ones who are generally producing a majority of accomplished goals. Chances are you're going to fit into that ballpark and you're not going to be that special snowflake who does not work under their models. What you do then once you get in the ballpark is you now have to refine their assumptions, their principles, their theories to suit your own needs. So you can read study after study that will show both what I just said, that strength training, strength gains is proportionate to mobility loss. And then you can find another study that shows that's not true. But if you go to the talent hotbeds where strength is the goal, you're going to see, let's just take uh, the sport of powerlifting. And let's just watch the athletes walk to the bar and see how much of a supple leopard they are or not. And I'm going to say overwhelmingly they're not. So kettlebells I have found because they are generally lighter causing less stress and causing then less desired for adaptation in terms of strength will allow you to become stronger while maintaining more mobility, which is desired. Now, if you lift the kettlebell in a particular way, in coordination with that general truth, you can actually achieve even more mobility and do so in a way that is an extension of the strength gains you achieved. So when you do Aikido Kihonwaza, you're going to have, and we're going to go quickly through this, you're going to have to have some sort of um, Kokyu 
Ryoku organization to your physical form. And part of that is going to be uh, a utilization of the rear posterior chain of the body and the capacity to uh, ground that rear posterior chain utilization into the earth, into your surface platform. And so you can do your kettlebells in a way that you do develop that rear posterior chain and that you work on this directing or this grounding of the energy of the weight of the bell as it is moving around you in whatever lift you're doing. And now your kettlebell swings are much more um, congruent with Aikido Kihonwaza than they are with just the sole goal of developing hip power or shoulder strength or biceps or what have you. So here's how you do it. First, you establish a ground path at midfoot. This is consistent with the talent hotbed associated with Mark Ripito, the importance of midfoot waiting. So whatever exercise you're doing, whether it be a swing or a halo or shoulder press, clean and jerk, it, it doesn't matter. You want to have your force line be at the midfoot, aiming down into the earth. And as you move the bell through space, what should be the focus of your conditioning is not necessarily the movement of the bell but the stabilization of the rest of your body so let's say I'm moving the bell with my right hand I'm doing a one-handed kettlebell swing what is important is that I maintain the structure of my left hemisphere such that I maintain the overall body organization and the originally adopted ground path vector. So really, when you hold the bell in the right side of your body, you're actually conditioning the left side. And the same goes when you have a two-handed kettlebell swing. The idea here is that you don't lose this organization nor this ground path vector. Lifting kettlebells in this manner not only reduces the amount of injuries that you might suffer, but it is directly conducive to needed entry-level skill acquisitions associated with Kihon Waza. And this is why we had to go here, because you had people who walked through the doors who just, regardless of their goodwill and their good intentions, were just not fit enough 
to do the art. And strangely, that kind of harkens back, right, to the, the myths, the dubious myths with Daduma and the, uh, the origins of Chinese martial arts. The monks were just not fit enough for the way. So they had to learn these exercises. Now, when you do these lifts, your main goal is the maintenance of this ground path vector and this overall body organization, which allows you to condition that rear posterior chain. It also brings awareness, which brings coordination into what I call the Hara band. this circumference of tissues that travel 360 degrees, usually from just below your navel to and through your pelvis. That area of the body is very key for the vectoring of force output. And so you need not only strength there, of course, but you also need awareness of it and coordination of it. And so lifting the bells in this fashion helps produce that as well. Now, because these are our goals, we do not and should not lift these bells with the goals of cultivating psychological endurance or mindset. And so we're not going to do a high rep count or a high set count or even a high weight count. You can generate a cultivation of this area along these needs by doing sets of five reps at the top, as few as three. And you do not require the bell to be heavy, as any bell, any movement, just like the bulkhead, which are quite light in relation to kettlebells, can cultivate these tissues stress them, cause, generate an adaptation that is being sought for because any mass is moving and pulling, therefore, on your structural organization and your ground path vectoring. And because your rep count and your set count are low, let's say 5 by 5, and because your weights are not extraordinarily heavy, you do not get injured. Your chance for injury is just minimal. But do not forget that we didn't start day one here. Years went by.
So this this takes me now to another kind of assumption. Because the science just will not is not conclusive. So because we're lifting Let's say, let's say relatively it's a low rep, low set count, low weight count. It's still heavy. I mean, your average male should probably have a minimum bell weight of 53 pounds. You can go up if you want. You just, it's just not necessary is what I'm saying. But you're not you're not there playing around with the twelve pound kettlebell as an adult male subject. You can, it'll do it, but your adaptation rate is going to be slower, smaller, and there's no really no negative consequence to jumping up to fifty three. But because you're you're not lifting like a two hundred pound kettlebell for your swings, you do not need the recovery time associated with other types of strength training. And so you can and should lift like this on a daily basis, if not on a bi-daily basis, two times a day. And the theory here is to mimic a lifestyle more akin to a traditional lifestyle where we worked all day, we labored all day. We were not from the segment of the population who has disposable income, who sits in chairs all days and sleeps in high beds and wears high heel shoes. We were not leisurely people, foodies, wine drinkers. We were workers. So this type of conditioning, in a way, is an alternative, although undoubtedly a poor substitute for just a good, hard work day. And if you, if you are in carpentry or you are in construction pool construction or what have you, you you lift heavy things on a regular basis, but you don't do it eight hours. You work there eight hours, but you're not doing it eight hours a day. So I kind of look at it as I'm playing with this and then constantly self-assessing and assessing the gains in my students, what I found is that generally it's one hour of 
this kind of lifting a day minimum, it's better if you can do it two hours a day. If two hours a day can become your minimum, that you're going to see much more gains in terms of this strength without this loss of mobility and this increase in coordination and awareness of these tissues. And if you start dropping below that, it's it's okay. I mean, look where we came from. You know, if you're doing this like three times a week, hey, that's better than nothing. But there's a whole lot of shit that's better than nothing. If you really want these gains, you're you're playing with two hours a day. That that should be like your let me shoot for that. And I will not drop below one hour a day. So as a result, I, ha I still, even though we have this program, we do have Deshi who just don't go to it. It's, it's just how it is. Even in a school as organized or as traditional as mine, even where we uphold the sensei-deshi relationship, the notion of correct form and adherence to correct form, even where we address this cultural shift in our society where the non-athlete tends to populate the Aikido mat, And even though we offer these classes at with no additional rate, it's the same dues responsibility. Where if you were to have a personal trainer who does not have decades of accomplished athletic history at national and international level, where a personal trainer will charge you $700 plus an hour while this is there offered, I still have Deshi that do not do this. And this allows, or kettlebells allow then, one more alternative. Because the needs of the art are still present. You cannot be weak and do Aikido. There's no way around that. And kettlebells are a very mobile resistance training tool. And so we do bring them onto the mat during our regular body art classes to help these people get a little bit more of these gains. So we'll do kihon waza. And every once in a while, everyone knows what weights what lifts we're doing and we go okay break hit the bells and they'll do that you'll finish your sets whatever was prescribed and then you'll find a new partner and you'll go back to kihon waza training i think anybody that that gets into this even if you do it alone without your dojo you're going to see your performance improve there's that's absolutely guaranteed But there's another side to, to 
strength training. It's a very important side. It has to do with the deeper aspects of Budo training. To move ourselves from a state of weakness to a state of strength is no small thing. It is huge. And as large as it, as it is as a, at a physiological level, it is even larger at an emotional or at a spiritual level. Because when we are weak, even if we tell ourselves, get in there and try, give it your all, our mind and our body knows at some deep deep level of self that we are weak. And so we hold back and fear overtakes us and we just will never ever reach the deeper aspects of the art Divine communion, the reconciliation of fear, and the reconciliation of the self-non-self -self dichotomy will be forever beyond us. And because of the connections between the spirit, mind, and body, then so too will Aiki. And if Aiki is beyond us, then we will never do Aikido. In order to transform the self from weak to strong, you're going to have to do, in, in very concrete ways, you're going to have to let go of who you are currently. And this won't only be a psychological rejection of where you are, but it will include some very mundane but very difficult changes. For example, if I am telling you that you should be doing this one hour a day minimum or shooting for two hours a day, well, guess what? You're going to have to figure out how to do that in terms of your schedule. And that's never easy. Because that's always going to be a matter of, you're going to have to sacrifice some things. And that's always going to be a matter of, you're going to have to align yourself more and commit more to this way. That's not difficult. I mean, that's not easy. It's going to involve also sacrificing people and relationships, and that is always difficult. You're going to have to drop old habits that you've been doing for decades in all likelihood. 
in all the relationships that have gotten used to those old habits, they are going to have to be stretched and strained and rebuilt. And that is difficult. But it's through these things, through these daily mundane changes that your Aikido practice becomes a way. Out of all the ways that we can change and, and all the ways that we can let go of our small self and move beyond the habitual coasting of our lives. And while, as I said, strength training or the seeking and cultivation of strength is difficult to do, out of all the other ways, it remains the easiest. So you have to go for it. Task yourself to stop being weak. Make yourself strong. And remember, always, God never wrestles with the weak. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com, or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.